Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I'm delighted to be joined today by James Briel, Vice President of Fresh at Rouse's Supermarkets. He's been at Rouse's for 17 years now, the last seven in that VP of Fresh role. He actually started within meat and seafood and worked his way up through category management in all aspects of Fresh, including culinary, meat and seafood, and produce. James, so looking forward to visiting with you today, and thanks so much for joining me on the Produce Retail Podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to do this with you. I know it's been a long time coming, and we've talked through the years, and should be a good time. Absolutely. So we'll give you an easy one here to get started. Tell us about how you got into the, the wonderful world of the grocery business to start with. You know, I think like most people, we got into it by accident. Um, You know, being a young young man coming up in the business, I started pushing baskets like everybody else and, you know, kind of grew from there into working in different departments and uh, ultimately was offered the opportunity to learn a trade skill in the meat department and, and took advantage of that. And, you know, very quickly progressed through the years. By the time I was 24, I made uh, director of seafood here at Rouse's and just continued to grow my career. And And uh, it's been a wonderful business to be part of. Met a lot of good, close friends throughout the industry and uh, experienced a lot of things that I never thought I would. So it, it's funny. I always tell young people that I meet today coming up in the business, if you've never thought about the grocery business as being a career, really look at that opportunity because there's there's not a lot of uh, younger people coming up as of right now, at least down in our area. And, you know, showing them that that roadmap to success and how to, you know, have a successful career has been important. But it's been exciting and, and very blessed to be part of this industry. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, James, because that's one of the things I was going to ask for you coming up. When was the first time it dawned on you? Shoot, I could do this forever. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I I'm a foodie, so the natural um, involvement into the food business for me was very exciting. So I was able to, you know, learn all about the different cuts of meat and different types of produces that were out there, and was able to explore and it intrigued me. So I was very passionate about food, and once I got into the uh, the meat business. I really started to see this as a career opportunity and, you know, being able to just explore and learn about different parts of things throughout the industry has been exciting for me. Very neat. And what was, what was your first exposure to getting into the produce, learning the produce part of, of fresh more broadly? Uh, I will tell you it was, it was, uh, I was exposed locally. So down here we have so many different local farmers and, you know, people on the side of the road selling produce So it's kind of a unique situation down in our market, but the strawberry side of the business and just locally around us with sugarcane, believe it or not, is is a massive produced uh, item down here in in Louisiana. And so just being around that had gotten me got, you know, close to the farmers and being able to learn more about the produce segment. Excellent. And you mentioned, of course, Louisiana strawberries, which I know you guys have done a lot with for many, many years Take us through a little bit how that program has grown. We know everything local uh, seems to be in high, high demand right now, but what what's the Louisiana strawberry engagement look like for you all? Well, I will tell you that you you have some very key players in this region, um, Liuza, Trey Harris, and there's several other ones that that grow that we have purchased for many years from. Uh, we, we just recently, and I say recently, about seven years now, 
partnered with a grower who who is named Trey Harris and Trey uh, exclusively glows uh, for us. And so we are buying literally everything out of his fields and are committed to doing even more with him in the future. Um, but what's been the unique thing about him and, and particularly about the relationship is that it's it's a give and take. And we we understand that there's challenges that he faces throughout the year and, and he understands we have needs as a retailer. And so collaboration and coming together with that farmer has really helped us. And, and we do that with many different farmers, but him especially over the last several years, he, he's been very close to me and, and building that relationship and it's been exciting. That's awesome. Well, and I know we we had talked about this too previously, James, in the context of the power of exclusive items, of items that you can only get, you know, at Rouse's or at for for our listeners at wherever you're at, right? right. And so I would love to hear a little bit about what does that look like as far as like you said, the give and take, the partnership, you know, as a retailer, what's it really important to offer that supplier so they think, okay, you know what? I'm I'm confident in putting all my eggs in one basket here, you know, because because these are these are folks I, I want to work with you know, long-term wholeheartedly all in. Yeah. I, I would tell you what, what creates that confidence on the farmer side is that when, when the bad times are there and you're sticking with them, that it, it, that cements a lot of things. Um, but I will also tell you that fortunately at Rouse's, we are very culinary driven inside of our store. So when we talk to a strawberry farmer, those strawberries aren't just being sold as just strawberries. They're being put inside of our pies and our cakes and our parfaits and on our salad bars and, you know, featured wherever we can. We even made a strawberry feta spinach sausage in our meat department. So, you know, there's all these different things culinary wise that we do that create excitement that allow that cross shop amongst, you know, many different departments that really helps with the branding, but also the ability to push the the products that we're committing to with that farmer. And we've done that across the board. It hasn't been just in strawberries. So wherever we can find that niche, that's what we've done. Um, and it's no secret. We market it. It's a limited time offer. It's, uh, you know, I always refer to it as the McRib of the grocery store. It's here for a little while and goes away, but it creates excitement and it creates the buzz and the consumers really sp- respond to that. So that's, that's really been how we've developed that over time. Well, and I imagine there's just phenomenal cross merchandising opportunities that come across having a product like that implemented in so many places in the store. There is. And, you know, it's funny because as we have a tendency in the industry on the fresh side to kind of stay within fresh. And one of the things that I've done is is try to partner with our center store and our CPG brands, which is one of the things I'm going to be talking about next week in a presentation that I have. And that is, you know, trying to include CPG within fresh and how do we marry things up? So this isn't necessarily a, a major CPG brand, but if you think about, you know, Wisconsin cheese and having Louisiana strawberries blended into the cheese and having a strawberry cheddar and a uh, local brewery of a beta beer featuring very specific strawberries that we go out and we commit to the tonnage to be able to buy. Those are things that we're doing to to incorporate further enhancing the cross merchandising. So the, a lot of exciting things that are going on at Rouse's. Well, and I imagine there's there might be some interesting opportunities there too. I, I'm I'm guessing on the CPG side because there tends to be a lot more 
um, from my understanding, kind of marketing funding and some of those other things that that getting moving some of that into fresh or or getting that a little more fresh ad- adjacent could open up some cool opportunities there as well. There is, and and you know it's interesting because when you first start having that dialogue and conversation with those CPG brands, you got to remember that they've got tons of customers they're dealing with. They're moving in a hundred different directions. We've really taken a process and said, hey, look, if, as long as you give me the ability to use your brand within something that I create, I want to be able to take that and enhance it. And so we're, we're in the early infancy stages of doing some of that, but there's going to be some things that come through the pipeline from us that that'll feature some of those things. And, and that exclusivity that you uh, hinted to earlier allows us to have a competitive advantage. Well, and going back to Louisiana strawberries for a moment, what tell us a little bit more about kind of what the time frame is here. I know you mentioned there's a Louisiana strawberry festival. I mean, you guys really are are all in on this. What what's that time frame look like that that you guys put all this together? Yeah, so it it really it is so dependent on weather. Um, but generally we're looking at probably like uh mid-February through, you know, May, June-ish. Um, depending on how much rain you get, how hot it gets. There's so many different variables. But every year we commit to um, basically buying everything that is grown on the field um, from particular farmers. And what we do is we, we take that product in-house and naturally you have you have your products that are not local that we still continue to, to bring in, but we try to make sure that we always have representation of local. The first thing we always ask ourselves is, if it's available, is it available local first? And if it is, that's generally where we source from before going outside of our local area. Uh, but the Strawberry Festival has been a, a huge hit for many, many, many years. Um, I, I don't even know the original date of when it started, but I know it goes way back to the you know 70s and probably even before that. But there's been a, a huge community involvement with that festival. Um, there's tens of thousands of people that go to it. It's a great family time. Uh, I brought my kids to it this year and, and they had a blast. And, you know, what they look forward to the most at that festival is all the different assortment of strawberry items that you can try. Very neat. Well, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, James, that, that part of your attraction to the to the grocery industry was that you're a foodie and you have this new campaign in your all stores called High Foodie. Tell us a little bit about First, how that got started. We'll start there. So it was funny. Um, I was meeting with my produce director, Jonad, and our marketing team. And I asked him, I said, I said, listen, when I walk up to the wet wall, I said, I see all these different things. And I said, if you think about someone who doesn't know how to cook, it can be overwhelming. You know, if you see, you know, you know, parsley and you see um, shallots and then you jump into, you know, dragon fruit and all these different assortment of things sold throughout produce. Sometimes they don't know exactly what to do with them. So I said, what if we created a sign that was on the wet wall? Just start there and, and let's, you know, let's put a QR code and we can teach people. Well, one of our uh, marketing team members, her name is Casey Gauche. She actually came up with the high foodie concept. And I loved it so much when she presented it. I said, this can work throughout the entire store. I said, we need to put this on anything that is unique throughout not only Fresh, but Center Store and really teach people about these unique items that you can buy and what to do with them. Because, you know, people people want to try new things. They're just not always 
willing to take the risk to purchase them if they're not quite sure what to do with it. So the High Foodie campaign has just kicked off. Um, we are going to incorporate it rapidly throughout the store and then have it featured on, on many different items. But it's been a it's been an exciting uh, event for us. I shared one of the pictures with you of what that looked like. And I can tell you that it was interesting when we did our re-grand opening of a store just a couple of weeks ago, a consumer actually walked in saw it, scanned it and was like, oh, and picked up some of the products. So to me, that's that that's that point of sale that, you know, we just necessarily didn't have before that now we we've incorporated in the store. Well, and I think that's so it's especially effective now, I think, as people are are still watching those dollars more in the current climate, you know, with high inflation and things like that. It's harder to take a, you know, what feels like a risk on something if you don't know exactly what you're going to do with it, right? So if you guys bridge that bridge that gap, you know, provide that answer up front, I, it seems like it takes away maybe that, you know, that fear factor of, oh, well, you know, this looks beautiful. Like this is a, you know, beautifully merchandised wet wall, but, but I'm not super familiar. It just, it, I think it kind of, yeah, it takes away that barrier. It, it does. And the other thing is, it's a basket builder, right? So if if you're featured that item and you've scanned it and you see these other components that you have to buy with it, you're naturally going to try the recipe or whatever's tied to it. So it's allowed us to have a little bit of a basket build as well. Mm-hmm. And did you all use um, for kind of the the information that the QR code takes shoppers to, did you use recipes that you already had on the website or was this campaign something that you had to develop a lot of new material for or or how did that kind of proceed so what's amazing about about rouse's and our marketing team is we've had this campaign for uh oh man over 15 years but it's called where the chef shop and we have tremendous chefs uh throughout all the years of, of me being here at rouse's that have contributed recipes and different things and continue to contribute uh, we have a monthly, uh, bi-monthly magazine that we release that chefs release different articles and stuff like that. So when we're featuring tropicals, we try to play up some of the exotic things that we may have, or, you know, if there's something special that we've sourced from Italy, we we bring that to the table and they create recipes for it. So most of the content was there. It was just, how do, how do we get it to the consumer other than a magazine or the website? And that point of sale with that QR and it says hi foodie. Well, everybody wants to be a foodie. So now they now they're they're seeing that and that's translating to them being more engaged. Now, what have you found is kind of the appropriate amount of these signs to have, you know, per department or the concentration in fresh versus center store? What does that look like for you all? So there's not a specific number, right? But what we've said in in the guardrails that we used was what is unique? What is something that, you know, a consumer's not used to seeing or maybe isn't a, a high penetration item that we typically would sell? So we're not putting this on a banana or, you know, a ribeye steak or anything like that. But what we are doing is we're putting it on items like, um, uh, you know, oxtails and cow tongue and, you know, pork belly. Pork belly is a huge item right now. And people are learning how to cook with pork belly and, and, you know, make different dishes with it. So that's translating across the board in all of our departments. And even inside of our deli, 
where maybe you're not necessarily buying an item to cook, but an already pre-made dish for that consumer who just wants to heat and eat, they're seeing some of that high foodie as well that they can take and, and explore with. So that's kind of the guardrails that we've used. And we're still in the infancy stages of launching it. But I think as we continue down the, the road, we're going to develop it more. Very neat. And what have been sort of the the information sources you use to make those decisions on which items to highlight? Is is that at the department head level or, you know, are you looking at internal data? Are you looking at broader trend data? You know, how do you kind of even narrow down like what's unique and interesting right now? So it's a, it's a mix of everything, right? So we use data and we use information, feedback from our team members members, but we also use what are the food trends, right? What are we seeing that is, you know, on Food Network and and on all these different channels that you're seeing more and more trend of. So we're, we're using a little bit of all of that to kind of make these push. And the great thing about it is because we didn't have this avenue before. And what was really exciting for my marketing team is I said, listen, what's great about this is, you know, how much do you always create? We never know really how much we got because of marketing. Well, we're taking these items that we've carried, and if we show a lift in sales because of the visits to the, the website between the QR code and everything else, that tells the story whether or not this is working or not working. So we have data that actually backs up what our assumptions are, and we're showing that lift in sales. So that's that's really the 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 post effect of you know gauging whether or not this has worked or not. So, but that's but that's how we're coming to that. Super. And I know you mentioned that you all have a very much a culinary focus, you know, for your stores as a whole and this huge database of content that was already there and all these wonderful recipes. When you were thinking about what recipes to send people to, you mentioned kind of that basket building effect, obviously, is is a huge opportunity here to get that. Were you what kind of recipes were you focusing on? So it, it depends on the item and what we're talking about. The, the What we focused on was a seasonal approach. So eating patterns are different in spring versus summer versus winter, right? So we're actually going to evolve this. These items aren't going to stay out there all year long. We're going to rotate them based on the seasons. So when you get into uh, peach season, you know, what's fantastic about this particular peach or this apricot or, you know, those different items for that given time. And what's the recipe for that? So when we get figs, we'll have figs tied in with, you know, charcuterie boards. And how do you build out a charcuterie board tied into to figs and things like that? So it's really focused on the seasonality of what we're what we're focused on within. So um, with us just kicking it off, we're focused more so on on just summertime, uh, lighter eating, things like that. So that's that's kind of where we've focused at as of now. And I've got to imagine that, of course, as you all select these items and kind of put together the plan season by season, I'm guessing this all is, is mirrored and dovetailed with, like you mentioned, the in-store magazine, social media, the website. What is kind of that... Um, that that constellation of touch points what what does that look like for you all and how do you make sure that that all that information is is aligned and all those things are kind of showcased you know simultaneously to get that maximum impact so what we started on was the the in-store experience first with the signage um, once we get that set and get that out in front of the consumers, you'll start to see it show up in our magazines and on our um, print ads and things like that but what what it's done, for us has allowed us to have a roadmap to step into 
teaching and educating the consumer, but also our employees, because a lot of our team members don't know what these items are as well. And so that's that's the start is the boots on the ground in the store, getting that figured out first, getting our team associates to, the ability to be able to talk about these items, because we want to start there versus putting it in print and everything. Um, because if we put it in print, we put it in the magazines and people start to come in and start asking things and those so associates can't answer it, then we're not able to, you know, deliver the, the consistent consumer experience that we want. So that's our, that's our start point right now is to get that kicked off. That makes a lot of sense to have sort of a sequential approach where, like you said, you get, you get the resource out there for not only the shopper, but the employee too. So they're getting kind of a, a training in the beginning, and then you can build it out and all these other places to to really take advantage. Exactly. And, you know, the, the beautiful part about it, too, is once once you've sold the employee on it and they understand the product, they are your best salesman, bar none. And so when they experience those products and they're actually out in front of those consumers talking about them, that's where the real magic happens. Because if you believe in it, the consumer is going to believe in it. And that's when you bring and build those relationships between your team members and your your customers. And speaking of of educating the the employee and, and the importance of that and the effective, effectiveness of those folks once they're you know really on board and excited about an item, what have you found are some of the best ways to to do that? Obviously, you've you've got these signs with the QR codes in store now. What are other ways that you have have found to really to really u- utilize those those sales folks that who that's what they really are, right? Who are out on the floor? So I will tell you that the in person education that we have from our merchandising team that does in store kind of seminars that that is that is hands down the best. But we also at Rouse's, we have a Rouse's University. And so it's an online educational platform where we actually feed information for them to be educated on different things. But our communication is uh, is pretty thorough. Um, we, we put together monthly plans that feature stories and give you the information behind the product. You're very dependent on that team member, you know, reading it and understanding it which we have things in place where our store management actually follows up on. So that's been a big help. But I will tell you, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in that area, Um, not just for Rouse's, but for the industry. Just educating people in general and and getting that out there is is still a huge task. And while we've made some some great uh, progress against the headwinds that we faced, um, I think there's still a ton of room for that improvement. And what kind of role do you think suppliers might be able to play there as well, just as far as, you know, sending that information and and formatting it how it's most helpful or like, well, what kind of supplier engagement have you guys, you know, asked for or like what would be nice in the future kind of along those lines? So all, all the POS material, all those things they supply, those are good. But at the end of the day, the best thing that gets those employees engaged in understanding the product is trying it. And so we've had, you know, and we've requested and we've had many manufacturers give us free goods. We let the employees try it. We give them tastings. They be, they're able to, you know, take some of it home in some cases. That has been the biggest win because, you know, until you get it in, in the mouth and you try that particular product, you, you can only tell the story so much. It's the, the product will sell itself. And that is generally what we've leaned on the most to get that that traction. Well, and I imagine especially 
if folks get to take it home and, and experiment with it and cook with it, because you mentioned the the culinary aspect of the stores and the, the foodie vibe, like it all sort of goes together. And, and then you start to get individual kind of personalized stories from your employees, too, that get shared, right? We do. And, you know, it's funny in Louisiana and, and especially along the Gulf Coast, but Louisiana, the Louisiana Restaurant Association has a tagline and it's called We Live to Eat. And in Louisiana, when you're eating breakfast, you're talking about what's for lunch. And when you're eating lunch, you're talking about what's for dinner. So, <laughs> you know, people trying product sells itself in our market because they are literally telling their friends, their families, their co-workers how amazing these products are and how you have to try them. Uh, which is why the high foodie campaign just made so much sense for us because, you know, it really brings all of that together. Absolutely. And how does, is sampling a part of this at all, or is that something that might be on the horizon? What, what role does that play for you all? It is, but you know, one of the things that, that we're focused on and we have some initiatives that we're working on for next year, COVID's changed everything from a sampling process, Right. In the old days, we used to, I say the old days, three, four years ago, we used to take these demo domes, put product in it and expect people to try it. And honestly, I don't know that that was ever a good thing. What we what we would desire to get to is actually having a, a team member on staff internal that is out there with a demo table sampling products consistently and being able to try the, you know, the products. Um, we found that that works best and that's what we're focused on. So I think the more engagement we have in that, the better. And I think that, you know, through the next few years, we've got some plans lined up to help with that and, and continue to expand on that. Excellent. Well, James, anything we've talked about Louisiana strawberries, we've talked about high foodies and cross merchandising, anything we're missing or anything else you wanted to add before we wrap things up today? No, I think that hit on a lot of points that are, you know, kind of new and trending and what's current. Um, there's a lot more that we're working on that I can't yet talk about, but I think in the coming weeks and months, I'll be able to share some stuff with you and maybe we can have some further conversation. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, James, for visiting with us today. Really appreciate all the great insight on these really creative, um, interesting things that Rouse is doing. And we'll thank our listeners as well. And we'll see everybody again next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.